I'm fairly confident that there was a moment when, when Nehemiah went out and he saw what God had done in 52 days. And I would suggest to you, if that happened, if he was ever to have gone around that city and looked at those walls, that what he saw, number one, would be the work of God. Whether or not he actually went out there, I am confident at some point, Nehemiah marveled at all that God had been doing. He stepped back to see the bigger picture, I'm pretty sure, as well. And I want to just share with you what I see as I step back from the wall that the the Israelites built by the power of God, what God did. I want to remind you, we're going to go back. I want to remind you that at one point the Israelites were nothing but slaves in the land of Egypt. They were property. They They were like cattle. They were worked feverishly. They were mistreated by their masters. And they were breaking under the yoke of their slavery. They cried out to God. And God graciously, and we know this, brought them to a land that the Bible says was flowing with milk and honey. They got to move into houses they didn't build. They got to work fields that they didn't plant. God had provided, driven other nations out. God had given them choice blessings. And they were living a wonderfully blessed life for a long time. Once they were settled in, God gave them a long period of peace. He made an agreement with them. He said, I'll be your God. I'll be with you. You'll be the apple of my my eye. All you must do is love me and obey me. And that was the rub. Because eventually the people of Israel began to push away from the God who was protecting them. From the God who was providing for them and loving on them. And eventually they pushed away from God. And it got pretty bad. In fact, it got uh, atrocious. And God warned them over and over again, what you're doing is wicked. You're pushing away from me. And folks, they were murdering their own children and offering them to false gods. They were doing detestable sexual practices in temples that were for false gods. And also even in the house of God. They were doing horrible, reprehensible things. And they kept going further and further away from God. And God would send prophets to warn them, look... Destruction will come. Judgment will come. Turn back to me. Be reasonable and come back to me. And to Jeremiah, for example, they got angry at his message. So they threw him in a cistern and left him there to die. Finally, the judgment of the Lord had to come. And so Babylon is called by God. Nebuchadnezzar comes. And his army comes. And by the way, by the, the, the day of the invasion... Israel had well over a million, perhaps as much as two million citizens in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas that were um, invaded by the Babylonians. By the time it's over, most of them are dead. Most of them are gone. And it was brutal. Their town was reduced to piles of rubble. The walls were torn down, everything burned. Many of the people were taken as slaves and made to be slaves again. A few of them stayed among the rubble and lived homeless lives, if you will, in the ruins. And so God, God watches all of this and and allows all of this and brings judgment to all, all, uh, all this judgment on the people. But there's a remnant of his people left. And here's the work of God, my friends. 
Jews were being born into captivity, and one of them happened to be Daniel, and one of them happened to be Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was a young man that God created to have extraordinary uh, abilities of leadership and other uh, winsome gifts. So much so that the king of the land noticed this little Jewish man, this little Jewish boy. And eventually, Nehemiah is brought, all through God's working, is brought to the position of being the cupbearer of the king. A very prestigious, a very well, nice ranking job. Nehemiah has no concept because he's in the palace of the king. He has no concept of what's going on. But God knew what was going on. And the day comes when through a, a, just a, a random conversation with his brother and friends, Nehemiah learns of the condition and then God uses all of that to bring Nehemiah to what we identified as his Popeye moment. That's all I can stand. And I can't stand no more. And it led him to prayer and to lead what happened. And let me tell you what that wall meant, brothers and sisters. Every time they saw the wall, and I think if Nehemiah did circle the wall, I think what that built wall said to them was more than just this is protection and we did a big thing. I think this said to them, God still loves us. In spite of everything, this stands as a monument to the love of God. Even though we've been a horrible people, even though we have rejected him, God worked a plan. It was marvelous. It was huge. It was gigantic. God did this big thing. And that wall would say to them, God hasn't given up on us. God isn't pushing us away forever. He's extending his love for uh, to us again. They had a place to gather again. They had a place to be a people again. And they could see the work of God in them. I think there's going to be a day uh, for all of us when we enter into eternity, when we, we run smack dab into a whole lot of surprises. Okay? I do believe that there will be some of us who will be shocked to see who's there. <laughs> they made it. You know, I think we'll have a little of that. Might be a little bit shocked to know who's not there. But I think one of the great surprises for me, one of the great surprises for all of us, is when we are in, in glory, I believe that somehow God will let us see how his plan unfolded. And he reached out in love to us, and we never knew he was doing such a big thing. There are so many things in the sequence of your life that had to happen to bring you into relationship with him. Do you understand that God has been working in your life from before you were born? And I see in this story years and years of God's love and God's mercy and God's work. And one day there was a wall for them to look at that says, see, God still loves us. We rejected him. We made our lives a pile of rubble. We made a mess out of everything. Yet God still loves us and gives us an opportunity to be in relationship with him. And folks, that dog will hunt. Thank God, in spite of the fact that we can make real big messes of our own choosing and we can rebel against God, as long as you are breathing, you have hope today. You have a God who loves you and he won't stop pursuing you. He loves you and he will continue to minister his grace to you. And the cross stands as a monument that God loves people more than anything. 
Thank God for that symbol. Thank God for the fact that we have a God who is at work behind the scenes. He moves heaven and earth in order to minister to us and love us and bless us and let us be his people. The walls were rebuilt in 52 days. And what Nehemiah understood and what I want to be clear that you understand today is all of what happened to lead up until to the wall being standing there. All of that was about God coming, uh, uh, working to bring people back into relationship with himself. God restored that relationship through all of that. I think most of us, again, are going to be surprised. I think one day we'll marvel at his planning and his moving and all that he did to bring us into relationship and keep us into relationship with him, his love and his work and his protection. Nehemiah chapter 7 begins to help us see another thing in this, and it is the return of God's people to God. In Nehemiah 7, the people, after all the building is done at least on the wall, They began to move into the city of Jerusalem. And folks, it was in ruins too. So they were rebuilding homes in there. They were fixing the structures. But they were able to do so. And so, in addition to that, Nehemiah and the priest Ezra began to reestablish with the people worship to the Lord. Wash, rinse, repeat. And right away, when they began to rebuild their lives under the protection or behind the protection of those walls which stood for a symbol of God's love, Nehemiah and Ezra the priest said, let's go back to worshiping God. He's been good to us. Let's begin to reestablish the things that we need to do in order to have a relationship with the Lord God since he has been good to us. And I have to wonder what it was like for those people to be home again in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 and 9 are so powerful in the book of of Nehemiah. After many of the Israelites had settled into their homes and and had settled in towns around there, uh, Nehemiah had them all assemble as one man in the square before the, the water gate, one of the gates that were part of the wall. There was a big area, a courtyard there that they stood together. And folks, they stood there together for hours as Ezra the priest began to read to them the law. Of the, of the Lord, the, the book of, that Moses penned, uh, the law that Moses penned, part of the scripture for them at that time. And as Ezra began to read, they were listening intently and hearing the law, they began to weep because they began to understand how egregious the sins of the people had been. Thirteen Levites, Ezra and Nehemiah, began to clearly explain and instruct the people on what the book of the law meant. And then finally on that day, as all the people are gathered there as one man and they're weeping, listening to the word of God, Nehemiah told the people, this is a sacred day and this is not the day for you to be weeping. Today we need to celebrate with a feast and be happy. And he said, do not grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the, uh, chapter 8 at the end shows how the people spent the next several days coming before the Lord during a festival time, but they would come for hour after hour to listen to the law of the Lord being read to them. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 14 
says, or chapter 8, 18, I'm sorry, says, day after day, from the first day to the least, Ezra read from the, uh, from the first day to the last. Ezra led, read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Now, chapter 9 is also a powerful chapter because it's the account of how the people then after the festival began to confess before God all of their sins and how they returned back to God with all of their hearts. And they came together and they brought a they drafted a written agreement to obey and to worship and to follow God's law and to worship God alone. They wanted it on in writing on paper. And several of the following chapters are given to describe the residents of the city and the surrounding towns. But in chapter 12, there is the account, finally, of the dedication of the walls. And what a beautiful, please read that chapter. When you read Nehemiah chapter 12, you'll see how they posted choirs of worship uh, all around and how they opposed, stood face to face and sang to one another. This powerful thing that they did. And it's a powerful ceremony as they are worshiping God and their relationship with God is restored. And when you read this, this book, you will see how God was gracious in bringing them back into a great relationship. So I mentioned to you that when the Babylonians invaded Israel, there were almost probably close to 2 million people, citizens living there in Jerusalem and surrounding areas. And the remnant that was uh, left after all of this and after the, uh, the walls were built were about 50,000 only. 50,000. But God was gracious to the people who came back to him. And those 50,000 people agreed together to love God back and to serve him. Finally, I want to draw to your attention the repeating rhythm of relationship that we see. I want you to understand that the book of Nehemiah ends with reporting all of the reforms and the disciplines and the sacrifices that the people returned to in order to maintain their relationship with God. Again, wash, rinse, repeat. The need for them to go back, the need for them to to maintain a relationship with God. And in order to for them to have that, they had to do these disciplines, they, these repeatable disciplines in order to get uh, close to the Lord. Sadly, I ha- hate to tell you, but this is what the Bible records. After a few hundred years, They stopped all of their worship. They stopped their serving God. And they went back to the detestable things that offended God again. And Israel eventually would be invaded again. And Israel would suffer because they did not wash, rinse, repeat in their relationship with God. Can I say something to you very quickly here, brothers and sisters? We need the word of God. And folks, you don't, you don't need God just one day. You need him every single day of your life. Amen. I have shared and I was thinking about the walls and there are so many. This, this, this series has had so many object lessons for me and for us to think about as a church. And I'll get to one of them in just a second. But I was just thinking about all the wonderful things that God has done and allowed me to be part of as a relationship. I've been in relationship with the Lord a long time. And I've, I've had pretty cool things 
happen as a result of my relationship. I've seen things done. And I don't know why the Lord did this. I'm, this is not me at all bragging. But God has let me be part of miraculous, huge, big things. Not too long ago, God let me be part of a great, big healing in our church. A man with pancreatic cancer, a man with lesions on his liver. Nobody survives that kind of cancer for very long at all. I've never seen that. We call on God together, and the man still plays our keyboards. He's still here. It's a miracle. And I've seen God do many miracles, and I've been part of some of them. But I will tell you something, brothers and sisters. I still need to to wash, rinse, repeat. I need God today as much as I've ever needed him. I need to look into his word. The word of God is my spiritual food. And I need to know the word of God. And it needs to be a daily thing for me to be in the word in order for me to walk with God. So it, it makes me so sad when I have people coming up to me and saying, Pastor, I'm, I'm not being fed. And, and I, I lovingly want, I, I try to start saying to, to people who say that to, uh, to me, is then why aren't you eating? Because it's not my responsibility to, to feed you. I, it's my responsibility to preach the word. But it's your responsibility to feast on the word. But if the only bit of the word that you're getting is a sermon once a week, you're not going to grow. You need the word of God in your life. You need that. Wash, rinse, repeat. You need prayer. It connects us to God. And it should be every day in our lives. In fact, it should be all day, all the time. We're in contact. We're talking to God. We're praying to God. We need the things that God has called us to do to keep us in right relationship with him. I'm thinking about the fact that in 52 days, God used these Israelites and God used Nehemiah to rebuild this big, massive wall. And let me just share something with you. And I say this as kindly as I know how to say it. If they had been, if the Israelites had been like American churches, 10% of the people would have went out there to try to rebuild that wall. And the other 80%, I have no idea what they would do. They would wait on the 10%. And it wouldn't have been done. My point is, they all worked together for the glory of God, and they gave all that they had to give. And the wall was complete. Everybody did their share. Everybody did their section. There was no gap. Everybody had 42 sections. Everybody had a responsibility. People had to rebuild gates. Everybody did their part. But if, if the Israelites would have been like most American churches, about 10% of them would have worked. And the rest, I don't know what they would have done. Folks, I'm going to tell you, I look at this rubble pile And it just reminds me of the fact that all around us, this very day, is rubble. Any direction that I could point to and hit a golf ball to, I could probably hit the home of somebody or the dwelling of somebody. I could touch base with somebody whose life is a pile of rubble and they're broken and they're hurting and they need Jesus Christ. We don't have to walk far from our doors to find the rubble of this world, do we? You want to you verify that there's rubble out there in our society? Step into almost any of our schools and just, just be quiet. Just sit down 
and observe. Just watch what is being, just listen to what is being said. Listen to the conversations. Hear the confusion. Hear the darkness. Just watch the lives of these precious young people. And I'm seeing people who work in schools nodding their heads in agreement. It's because there's rubble in our society. And that's what it looks like. That's what it is. People's lives are broken in pieces. And we have so much division as people in our land. That's rubble. And we have the answer. We can be builders. We can glorify God. Northampton is full of rubble. And we have the wherewithal if we will come together and we will honor God. And we will be God's people to help people build their lives back. And I want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy walking around trying to hoard what God gives to me and not share. I want to be that guy telling people about the word of uh, the water of life, living water, and giving it out. I want to be that guy who is helping people know about Jesus Christ. Rubble is everywhere, but let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. God equipped the church, and we can do something about it. You want to see rubble? Just walk into anywhere government is. I'm not trying to be cynical here. I really am not. But go to Washington, D.C. You'll see rubble. Go into your governor's mansions. You'll see rubble. It's, it's nonsensical. Why? Because they're in darkness. Because their lives are a mess. And just because someone wears a suit and tie doesn't mean they have it all together. Amen? We can find rubble in our, our mission as a church, is to help clean that up and to be builders. So I challenge you today. I ask you, church, to help us address the needs of this community, to love on people who need Jesus. One of the main reasons we open our doors to let the school in here to do testing and other things is so that we can address the rubble in the lives of people. And we have so many opportunities awaiting us here in Northampton. Let's just start here and watch what God will do. If I move you to Allentown, some of, some of you have your hair curl up in the back of the neck. I'm not being smart, but you see some of the brokenness out there. It's sad. People hurt. And we have the ability to do something if we will. And folks, I want to challenge you, Gospel Chapel. We can't be content. We can be thankful. We can step back and say, God, thank you for what you've done. But we need to understand there's still a whole lot of rubble and a lot of work to be done. Amen? So I'm, I'm asking you as pastor, think about this. Can we focus? Can we get in airplane mode and focus on what God wants us to do and be? I close this message this way. I may be speaking to somebody and, and the best descriptor of all the object lessons of this this series the best description of your life could be a rubble pile it's just not going well and you know brokenness and you know hurt and you know all of the the negative things that come with that and you got a lot of rubble i want you to know that there is a god who has not given up on you who loves you and he is ready already working in your life Already, you just haven't seen it. He's already working to bring you life, to bring you back, to bring you in good relationship with him. I want you to know he loves you today.
and he's here. I want you to also know if you are a Christian and you've, you, there are so many of you who were kind enough to put your name on a block to indicate to us, I'm part of what God will do here at the Gospel Chapel. Count on me to help. Count on me to be a builder. And I want to remind you, your name's up there, and God knows your heart. Help us. Help us. Help us help this community. You got an idea? Come to me. I want to know it. I want to do what we need to do to help lost people know Jesus. If you're a Christian and you wonder where you belong, you belong here. And you can help us if you will. You belong here. And we need you. We need your perspective. We need your talent. All of that said, I'm going to ask you to bow your head quietly before the Lord. And I wonder if there's anybody here who would first and foremost say to me, Pastor Ken, my life is is rubble. And I need Christ. And I ask, I, by lifting my hand, I just want to say, I, I acknowledge Jesus Christ. And I, and I say, Lord, I want you in my life. I want you to forgive me. I want you to come into my heart and be my God. I see a hand. Are there any others? I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. There are three. Are there any others who would just like to say, I'm ready. My life is a rubble pile, Pastor Ken. I need the Lord. I'm ready for that. Is there a Christian here? You know you're born again, but you've been struggling. You've been just wrestling with with what your life is about, but you're ready to say to God, you know what, Lord, in spite of all that I have questions about, I want to acknowledge that I belong to you and I'm ready for you to use me and I love you. And you would just slip your hand up for the Lord to see. I'm ready for you, God. Whatever you got, I want to serve you. I want to honor you here in this place, here in this town, here in my life. God, just use me. Let me be a builder. Let me be who you want me to be. Many, many hands. Father, we thank you. You are the God who builds You are the God who brings people back. You are the God who loves. I pray that you will minister to our hearts and help us as we leave here today to be determined to be the people of God that you would have us to be. Minister to those, O God, in particular, who who literally lifted their hands today to say, my life is a pile of rubble. I don't know how to put it back together. Oh, Jesus, make yourself known to them in a mighty way as they begin to to seek your face, that prayer, that focus. Lord, help them to come to you and find your love and peace and bring them close. Lord, we pray for anyone in this congregation who hurts today, whose heart is, is empty today. And we pray you give them peace 